on the 2nd of December 2013 in a suburb of Reykjavik. A man is shot dead by armed police. At first, it's unclear what the man's motives are, but it has been reported that he has threatened his neighbors. At first, the police try to subdue the man with tear gas, but that has next to no effect. The man retaliates to the tear gas with gunfire, striking two officers. The armed police return fire, knocking the man to the ground. The man is then rushed to hospital, where he would later die. This type of incident is almost commonplace in big cities around the world. If it was to happen in another big city in Europe, then most people would not even give the story a second glance. However, this incident happened in Iceland, and it was the first time in the history of the police force that they have used deadly force on a citizen. The man was possibly unstable or troubled, and was even putting other people's lives in danger. But this did not stop the National Police Commissioner from immediately apologizing to the man's family, simply because this kind of thing just doesn't happen in the land of fire and ice. Not only was the first time the police had shot dead someone, but violent crime in general is virtually non-existent. So, when a 20-year-old woman's body is found washed up in a coal eight days after going missing, the whole country goes into shock. This is Nordic True Crime. Iceland is known for some of the most stunning scenery on the planet. Active volcanoes, lava fields, mountains and glaciers, to name but a few. The capital city of Reykjavik lies on the southwestern coast and is the country's biggest city, with a population of around 126,000 people. The capital and the surrounding areas are home to more than two-thirds of the island's population. It is also home to 20-year-old Birna Briansdottir. She is described by many as a fun, strong-willed and good-hearted girl who finds it easy to make friends. In the early hours of the 14th of January 2017, Birna was on her way home 
from a night out with her friends in her home city of Reykjavik. She is even visible on the city's CCTV cameras at 5.25 a.m. as she walks down a street on her way home. About 10 kilometers south of Reykjavik, in a town called Hafnafjordur, a trawler from Greenland called Polar Nanok sits anchored in the harbor. That same evening, Birna and her friends are partying in the city. Some of the crew members of Polar Nanok decide to head into Reykjavik. They go to a bar and have some drinks. One of the sailors wins a competition, the prize being eight pints of beer. Unsurprisingly, he gets very drunk on his prize, passes out and is asked to leave. The sailor's colleague, 25-year-old Thomas Möller Olsen, had been taking it easy on the alcohol that evening. When his colleague is thrown out of the bar, they both get into Thomas's rental car, a red Kia, and drive off. The men drive by Birna as she is on her way home, and for reasons unknown, she gets into their car. It is, however, believed that she got into the car of her own volition. She will not be seen alive again. When she didn't show up for work the next morning, she was reported missing to the authorities and a search party was initiated. Together with the police, Coast Guard and specialist search and rescue units, a record-breaking number of around 800 volunteers make up the search party, the biggest in Iceland's history. They also had the added help of 11 tracking dogs and drones. Birna's mother also gives a press conference on TV pleading for any information regarding the whereabouts of her missing daughter. When there is still no sign of Birna, the locals come together to lend their moral support by using the hashtag #EggerBirna. I am Birna, on social media, to illustrate that it could have been any one of them who went missing. A I am Birna march is also organized, retracing her walk home right up to the spot where she was last seen on camera. Over 4,000 people participate in the march, and flowers are laid at the spot where she disappeared from. The CCTV cameras that she was last seen on in the city are only partly useful in tracking her movements as the motion detector on the camera isn't working properly and therefore the exact moment she went missing is not recorded. Police go through the footage with a fine-tooth comb in order to try and figure out Birna's whereabouts. 
they soon come across the red Kia car, which looks to be passing Birna, but after that she is no longer seen on the cameras. They also track mobile signals from her phone, which shows that she could not have been on foot after being on camera for the last time, because the signal was moving too fast. The signal was last pinged from a telecom tower 10 kilometers away in Hafnarfjordur before the phone was manually turned off. Hafnarfjordur is also where the polar Nanok is docked. On the 18th of January, detectives find footage of a red Kia parked at the harbor. They run a check on the license plate and find out it's a rental car. A rental car that was last used by Thomas Möller Olsen. The rental period also includes the early hours of the 14th of January, the day Birna went missing. The trawler had left the dock during the evening of the 14th of January and was now out fishing for Haddock. The police decide to take Thomas in for questioning, so they contact the captain of Polar Nanok, saying that they want to board the ship at sea. The captain decides to turn the ship around and sail back to Iceland. He tells his staff that they must go back to Iceland due to technical problems. But rumours have already started to spread around Iceland that the red rental car and Polar Nanok have something to do with Birna's disappearance. And before the police have time to contact the trawler's captain, a reporter beats them to it. One reporter even sends a message to Thomas, asking him questions regarding the rental car. This move was highly criticized by the police, saying that because of this, the suspect had been given an opportunity to dispose of any incriminating evidence he may have had. According to a witness on board the ship, Thomas was acting normal ever since they left the dock. But when he was told that they were returning to Iceland, he became very nervous. Thomas realized the reason they were turning back to Iceland wasn't because of technical problems with the ship, but because of Birna's disappearance. He showed the captain and the first mate the messages he had received from the reporter, claiming that he didn't have anything to do with Birna vanishing. They comforted him by saying that as long as he had nothing to do with it, then he had nothing to fear. By this time, he was looking very pale and couldn't eat, and he was wandering aimlessly around the deck. Finally, the captain tells him to calm down and take some sedatives. When the police boarded the Polar Nanok, they arrest both Thomas and his colleague, 
who was with him in the car during the evening of the 14th of January. They even find Birna's driver's license in a black bin bag on board the ship, which was later shown to have Thomas's fingerprints on it. When given access to his cabin, they also found 23.4 kilograms of hash. When the trawler finally reaches the harbor of Hafnafjordur, 16 police cars are awaiting their arrival. Just eight days after her disappearance, the Coast Guard helicopter finds Birna's body, washed up on the rocky shore near the lighthouse Selvogsviti, on the southwest part of Iceland, approximately 60 kilometers from Reykjavik. All her clothes are missing, and she has been badly beaten. The case had now become a murder investigation. With the help of the camera footage and the tracking of mobile phones, the police were now progressing with their own theory of what actually happened. They believe that Birna got into Thomas's rented car around 5.25 a.m. in Reykjavik. At 6.10 a.m., the car reached the ship, and Thomas's colleague got out of the car and boarded the ship. It is believed that Birna was at this time still alive. Thomas drove over to the head of the pier, where there are no surveillance cameras, and the car sits there, parked for 45 minutes. Police believe that Thomas then, for some reason, attacked Birna in the car. According to the coroner, Birna had received heavy blows to the head, more than likely from someone's fists. She had a broken nose and major injuries around her eyes. She also had marks around her neck, consistent with strangulation. Nothing indicates that a weapon was used. At around 7 a.m., Thomas drove away from the pier, and the police believe that he drove to a bridge that lies west of the place where Birna's body was found, and there he dumped her in the water. It is consistent with the car's mileage, and Thomas's mobile phone also turns off at 7.06 on the way towards the presumed dumping site. Birna is most likely unconscious at the time she gets thrown in the water, but she's not dead. Her cause of death is drowning. It's also unclear if Thomas actually realized that she was still alive when he threw her into the water. He then drives back to Hafnafjordur and stops at the store and buys cleaning products. At 11.30 a.m. he was back at the harbor again and he is seen on the surveillance footage 
cleaning the car. He scrubs it both on the inside and the outside, the seats and the dashboard. Most of the clothes he was wearing when he was cleaning the car have never been found. When he returns the car to the rental place, he tells his colleague who was with him that he had kissed a girl that same night and that she later threw up in the car, which is why he had to clean it. When the car is examined, investigators find numerous large bloodstains on and underneath the back seat, on the passenger door, on the dashboard, and on the sun visor. This is all despite the fact that the car had obviously been cleaned. Tests showed that the blood belongs to Birna. The other sailor that had been in the car that morning was held under arrest for two weeks before he was excused from the investigation. There was nothing indicating that he had anything to do with the attack on Birna, and no blood or DNA belonging to her was ever found on his clothes. He claims that he was really drunk that evening and fell asleep almost immediately when he got into the car in Reykjavik and slept until he was woken by Thomas when they got back to the trawler. Surveillance footage shows him getting out of the car and boarding the ship, just like he said, looking very unsteady on his feet. Other members of the crew at Polar Nanok testified that he was very drunk and also believed this to be very unprofessional of him. The man can't remember much of the evening, but says that Thomas told him after they sailed out to sea that evening that there had been two women in the car that night. He couldn't really vouch for this claim, as he was too intoxicated to remember. He did, however, have clouded memories of a girl getting into the car, but he fell asleep shortly thereafter and could not recall anything else. He said he stayed on the ship until after lunchtime when he was dropped off that morning, which is also verified by his mobile phone signal. The evidence against Thomas is quickly piling up, and he is subsequently charged for murder and drug offences. Birna's Dr. Martin boots are also found near the trawler on the site where Thomas's car was parked. His DNA is found on her shoelaces, and his fingerprints were, of course, on her driving license when it was found on board a ship. Her blood was also found on Thomas's jacket. Thomas denies having anything to do with Birna's death. He claims that he had two girls in the car, Birna and another unidentified female. He then dropped them both off at a roundabout outside Hafnafjörder and never seen them again. But he did admit 
to having brought the 23.4 kilograms of hash on board the ship, but says that he should not be charged with drug smuggling because it was not him but the Icelandic police who forced the boat back to Iceland from international waters. Therefore, he could not be held responsible for smuggling. This was dismissed by the Icelandic courts, since there was no question that Thomas had earlier brought the drugs to the country. According to witnesses, the drugs were taken on board when they were docked in Copenhagen, Denmark. They claim that when docked in Copenhagen, Thomas was on shore the whole day and night and looked very tired when he returned to the ship. Thomas kept changing his accounts of what happened and at the trial he even tried to blame his colleague for the murder. He said he had been pressured by the police into making a false statement and he felt he was being treated very roughly and unfairly. He had been placed in isolation in jail but according to the police this was due to the case being very high profile and many inmates were making threats against Thomas. So in order to guarantee his safety, being placed in isolation was a must. Thomas's new version of the events that evening go like this. Virna got into his car in Reykjavik thinking it was a taxi. He wanted to be nice, so decided to give her a lift home. On the way there, they stopped at a golf course, and his drunk colleague tells Thomas to get out of the car, which he does, and his colleague then drives away with Birna still inside. When he returned, he seemed very nervous, but claims that he drove Birna home, Thomas said he didn't think much of it, and they drove back to the ship. He then gets a message from a person whom Thomas does not want to identify regarding a delivery of a package. That's why he was gone from the boat for several hours during that morning. Because he feared for his own safety, he didn't want to specify anything to do with what the package contained or where or to whom he dropped it off with. When he got back to Polar Nanok, he decided to clean the car because there was a smell in the car that resembled vomit. During interrogation, he had said that he kissed Birna, but during the trial, he denied that, saying he probably accidentally touched her, and that's why his DNA could be found on her shoes and driver's license. When asked about his car being parked where her shoes were found, he said he didn't see any shoes, and he had stopped there just to eat a sandwich. Thomas had big scratch marks on his upper body that could have been from when Birna tried to defend herself from being attacked, 
but Thomas claims that he often accidentally scratched himself in his sleep. According to the prosecutor, Thomas's new versions of events is completely false and all evidence points to this. For instance, they are parked at the golf club for six minutes before the car drives away and according to surveillance cameras, the car does not return, which Thomas of course claims did happen when his colleague returned after dropping off Birna at her house. The colleague was also very drunk, which was testified to by several people on board the ship. He also didn't have a driver's license and had never taken any driving lessons. So, if he would have driven away the way Thomas says he did, the prosecutor explains that he probably would have gotten into a car accident. Regarding the package Thomas said he delivered during the hours when police said he was dumping Birna's body, the prosecutor finds more damaging evidence against his claim. Thomas said the contact with this person was done via the app Wecker. All messages which are sent through Wicker are encrypted and you can also put an expiration time for your message, which makes it next to impossible to recreate deleted messages. But the technical investigation team could prove that Thomas was in fact not using the Wicker app during the night of the murder, in turn proving that he was once again lying. The prosecutor also said that there was absolutely no evidence anyone else but Thomas was guilty. Whoever attacked Birna had to have had blood splatter on him because of the force used. Nothing could be found on his colleague, only on Thomas. There was no evidence of vomit in the car, which Thomas had claimed, only a large amount of blood. Birna's blood. Thomas Möller Olsen was convicted to 19 years in prison for the murder of Birna Brianstottir and for drug smuggling. One of the longest sentences handed out in Iceland in decades. Birna's funeral was held on the 3rd of February 2017. Among the many attendees was the Icelandic president, who came to pay his respect. Birna's workplace, one of the largest department stores in Iceland, decided to close that day so that everyone who wanted to could attend the funeral. The family asked for nobody to buy any flowers, but instead give money to the Icelandic Coast Guard, who played one of the biggest roles in the search for their daughter. 
Pirna was buried in a white coffin. She was only 20 years old. <laughs> 